and then we'll go. Carly, you're going to swallow before we go? Oh yeah. Usually you swallow at the end. Hello and welcome to Sex News with Ray. I'm your host, Ray, and today we are joined again by Carly Bassian, noted sex ed consultant who works in the Ontario school system. Carly, say hi. Hi, everyone. All right, today in Sex News, article is called No Means No, Consent Training Overlooks Nuances of Sex, colon, experts. This is also from Global News from September 19th, 2019. To summarize the article, most campuses, university campuses across Canada require students to take something called consent training. The authors of this article have found that many young adults never use the word no, but gave other excuses instead, what we would call soft no's. Campaigns like No Means No and Yes Means Yes don't talk about how consent is communicated in other ways, like through body language. This article is actually really long and very comprehensive, so I'm just hitting the highlights. It talks about how like these kinds of consent training courses treat consent kind of like a checked box. Uh, and it talks about how sex education needs to move beyond risk aversion and include pleasure. Consent training should discuss sexual stereotypes. There's an assumption that everyone can just say no, but situations can be quite complex, especially in university. And the conversation needs to be around fostering positive relationships as opposed to yes means yes or no means no. That's basically this article in a nutshell. So today is going to be our consent crash course. We have been referencing it casually. We're going to continue to reference it casually. So this episode, we're going to talk all about consent. And this article also talks about assumptions around consent. So first of all, what is consent? I'm just going to reference a fantastic infographic that I found off of the Planned Parenthood website. Planned Parenthood is probably my favorite online resource. They're just so judgment-free. Everything you can possibly think of is on there. So this comes from Planned Parenthood. Consent, there's a fries acronym for that. So think of French fries. So fries, consent is freely given. It's reversible. It's informed. It's enthusiastic. And it's specific. I'm going to get teachery here and I'm going to give the definition for each because consent, I know Ray just said we're mentioning it casually, but this is not a casual thing. This is a very important real thing that comes up in our daily lives and we need to understand what consent actually means because a lot of people don't. So freely given, that means that we are consenting in a way that is our choice that we make without feeling pressured, manipulated, or under the influence of drugs or alcohol. So the moment you're intoxicated, when you're high, you can't actually make choices in a sound way. So by default, if you are under the influence, you cannot give consent because you cannot freely give it. Reversible. It means that you can change your mind about it at any point in time. I can start having sex with my partner and midway through, decide that, you know what, I'm really not into this. I'm, I'm going to stop now. And you have to respect that. So you can revoke that consent at any point in time. Informed. So that means that you can only you can only consent to something if you have the full story. So for example, if someone says that they'll use a condom and then they don't have a condom, then well, that's, that's not full consent. That's also legally sexual assault. Yes. Yes. It, you have you yeah. have if you're going to say or, you're going to use protection. You have protection. To, another example would be saying, I'm single when you're not. Yes, exactly. Enthusiastic. So when it comes to sex, you should only do stuff that you want to do and not something you feel pressure to do. And unfortunately, I would argue most people have had the experience of feeling pressured. And it's really hard to give consent when you feel pressured. You know, when you're saying, I really want to have sex. I'm really horny. Hey, baby, I really want to have sex. Do you want to have sex after bugging me about it for five minutes? And I go... Oh, okay, fine. 
I'm, I'm saying fine with my words, but I'm not saying fine with my tone. I'm not saying fine with my body. So that is right. not enthusiastic and that is not consent. Or even like, send me a nude. Send me a nude right now. Send me a nude. Just send me a nude at work. Send me a nude in the bathroom. You know, like someone's saying, send me a nude. I'm at work. Right? Some people yeah. that means I'm at work. But if someone's like, I'm at work and you're like, so go do it now. The person's like, sorry, I'm busy. Right? Like, oh, just send Read me a nude. Send room. me a nude. Right? Like that Read is that is not enthusiastic. If someone's like, oh, I'm at work, I'll send you a work nude. Like that's enthusiastic. Yeah. Look, if you if someone says, I want to do this with you and you're in the mood for it, you're gonna be like, fuck yeah. So when someone's like, oh, maybe, yeah, okay, that's not enthusiastic. Read the room. So lastly is specific. So saying yes to one thing does not mean that you're saying yes to another thing, which is so crucial. When I'm kissing my partner and it's going great and I'm checking in and they're like, yeah, I'm really liking this. It really feels good. That doesn't mean that I can start touching his genitals. So you have to ask and and consent is ongoing. It's negotiated and you need to check in with every step of the way. And you got to get a feel for your partner. You don't want to ask like literally every single different thing you do because that can be a bit much, but you know, just check in. And if you're getting the sense that they're not feeling comfortable or they're making noises that don't sound great, just check and be like, hey, is everything okay? Do you want me to continue? Do you want me to do something else? Does that feel good? Yes. Should I keep going? Right? Basic. Things like that. And you can make it sexy, just like how Ray just did. Things like dirty talk are people asking for consent. The thing, yes. though, is that if someone does that and you think they're dirty talking you, you can dirty talk back. But if you're not enjoying yourself, you got to use that as your opening to respond. Yeah. And it's hard. It's hard. You know, like, I've been there. You've been there. We've all been there where we uh, want... I've definitely been yeah. there. Yeah. And it's really hard to turn someone down and feel pressured, which is why it's so important to teach kids at a young age how to not only ask for consent, but to accept it or accept the rejection of it because we're not taught that. And understand what no can sound like when they're not using the word no. Okay, before we move on to more things around consent, I want to go back to the whole freely given and the idea that you can't consent if you're under the influence because I know that I personally have been in certain encounters where I have a little glass of wine to help me relax before I get into it. I know other people who will use edibles as a way to get them in the mood. I genuinely think that what this article talks about, the idea that consent is so complicated and every situation is so unique, right? If someone is blackout drunk and can't walk or they're slurring their words, then that's fine. But there are some people when they're drunk, you can't tell. And I think that's where it gets complicated. And there are other people who enjoy drinking as a way to get them in the mood and get themselves to relax and kind of need that social lubricant. Yeah. So when alcohol and sex are combined, that is where things get really complicated. And I think the reason it's extra complicated in universities, because especially in Canada, this is when these adults are allowed to legally drink alcohol for the first time, and they're away from home, and they're away from their parents, and they're in dorm rooms, and they can finally drink as much as they want to and have as much sex as they are able to get. That's, I think, especially why it gets so complicated at the university level, because you have people learning their limits in two different ways and not being given the tools to negotiate these conversations. Which is why it's important, especially in teenagehood, that again, parents are giving their kids the space to explore and ask questions in a safe way. Because we see we see this happen all the time where kids grow up in a very, you know, strict household, whatever you want to call it. They're not allowed to drink. They're not allowed to have a boy over. They're not allowed to do anything. And then they go crazy. And then they cut their hair and become coke addicts. Yeah. 
well, I yeah. hope not, because you're not teaching them how to set appropriate boundaries. And I'm not saying that you should encourage your kids to smoke and drink at the age of 16. But if they have questions about it, teach them how to set healthy boundaries. So when the time comes, they're not going to go overboard and get blackout drunk the first time that they they drink when they're at right. university or college. Yeah, it's not just the idea that you, you know, you don't have to give your kid pot. Right. But you can tell your kid, by the way, pot is legal where we live. It's not giving your kid alcohol or giving them pot or or saying, yeah, go have sex. It's more like if you're how does your child know what they want for their body? Right. Yeah. Did they like feeling high when they tried it? Did they not like it? Why did they want to do it? Was it just that they were curious that, they, you know, was it that they enjoyed the feeling? Was it that all their friends were doing it? They wanted to know. Were they having FOMO? Right. Like kids are going to explore. Young adults are going to adults explore. I know people who still in their minds, they go to the cottage to do acid and mushrooms. And that's what they go to a cottage for. Apparently, it's called white boy cottaging. Found that out. All right. Never heard of that. Yeah. Apparently, there's a term for it. Uh, and then there are other people who go to the cottage because they just want to be in the woods. The idea being that different people are going to explore different things and you can't assume your child will never explore something. You don't need to be the person giving your kid acid, but you can be the person giving your kid the tools to say no when all their friends are doing it if that's something they're uncomfortable with. Exactly, because this is the thing. Regardless of how great of a parent you are, regardless of how involved you are, your kids are going to experiment one day at some point, whether it's sex related, whether it's drugs related, whether it's alcohol related. And if you're going to meet those conversations and you find out with aggression and anger, your kids aren't going to come to you for that support and they're not going to know how to negotiate boundaries. So if you can create a space where they feel safe enough to come to you to say, mom, I had sex for the first time yesterday. Very different reaction between I can't believe it. This is unheard of. You're not married yet. That's not okay. They're never they're never going to come to you again. But if you say, you know, thanks, honey, for telling me, how do you feel? Were you safe? Do you want to go to the doctor to be on birth control? Give them options. Or to get tested. Yeah, or exactly. And, you know, giving them options and letting them decide. Because at that point, hopefully, if they're making those choices, they're old enough to make choices about their own body. Yeah. I would also say that like experimentation might not be with drugs or sex. It could be with live action role play and Dungeons and Dragons. And you want to be supportive of that, too. True, true story. <laughs> I can. So we're, we're on Zoom right now. because It's COVID. Yeah. So I can see Ray's face and you're missing that context. But she gave a look. A look. Yes. No. Um, but she the idea being that that well, some parents I OK, used to be a nanny. I once met this other parent in the park and the idea that his son preferred to play Legos and video games and didn't want to join a sports team, he didn't get it. It was impossible. There was something wrong with his child. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Your kid's going to be rich one day. They'll be a computer scientist and they're going to make all the money of the household. It's fine. Okay, so what are our... I'm just going to segue back on topic. What are our assumptions around what consent looks or sound like? Like, what do we assume versus what is it actually? It's a really great question. So I think we often assume that consent is a word. We say yes, or we say no. But as I just mentioned, it's so much more than that. I can consent very enthusiastically without even talking. It can be a look, it can be a gesture. Um, so just to assume that it's verbal, and, and that's it, that's a very dangerous assumption. It is a full package. And on, on the flip side of that, I can say yes. But if my facial reaction, I'm cringing, I'm squinting my eyes, I'm crossing my arms. You're up talking a little. 
Yes. Yeah. I'm not a nut talker. So I'm like, exactly. If I go, yes, that's not. Yeah. Got you. You have to pick up on those very subtle cues, which again, makes consent is very complex. It is very nuanced and it takes time to learn it. And every partner shows it differently as well. Um, so to ask your partner, you know, what does consent look like or feel like for them? That's also a great way to, to get to know that person and to break down those assumptions and those stereotypes. And I also know that there's something called, I, I didn't realize more people didn't know this term. So I'm going to define it just in case, but there's a hard no when you say the word no. And then there's a soft no when you imply the no in small ways. I'm on my period. I have a headache. I'm tired. I have a boyfriend. I have a girlfriend. Um, maybe later. I don't know. I'm here with my friends. Um, I'm not, I gotta, you know what I mean? Like, like even someone going, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Right? Like sometimes, okay, fine. Sometimes you're getting a little bit sexual and then like, no, you actually have to go to the bathroom. Like that's, that's one thing. But like, if you're at a social situation, your clothes are not off yet. And the person's like, oh, I'm just going to the bathroom. They're escaping you. That's yeah, what's exactly. happening. Yeah. Yeah. So beyond beyond the verbal and uh, the body reactions to it, there's also a lot of gender stereotypes, I think, when it comes with gender. So I think there's this assumption that women are often the gatekeeper of sex and that that women can't rape men. That's not true at all. There are plenty of women that I know that that just have a generally a higher sex drive than their male partners. And they're often the ones asking, can we engage? And their male partners are, are saying no. Um, so that's a dangerous assumption. And also, yes, I just looked at some stats actually just yesterday on the Ontario.ca website, and approximately one in three women experience sexual violence, and one in eight men. It's not that men don't experience sexual violence or violations of consent. Men are also subject to that, unfortunately. Right. So there's this assumption that it's women more, and it is women more, but men still experience it. And there's there's actually, when it comes to sexual assault statistics, there's actually so much more that goes into that. For example, a woman is more likely to be assaulted by someone she knows. And the yes. reason she was in a vulnerable position was because she trusted that person. Mm -hmm. And same for a man, right? You're in this vulnerable position because you trust this person. And it's the emotional manipulation that that may, leaves you confused and not trusting your body. I hate when people are like, well, women can just be more physically overpowered. Yeah, but that's not what does it. One swift kick to the balls if you can get there, right? One good bite. Mm -hmm. That's all it takes. But the truth is people aren't doing that because that's not what's keeping them in the room. It's not some yeah. random attacker who's popped out at them. Self-defense won't defend you when you're not able to read your own body signals or you're doing the freeze. It's not fight yeah. or flight. It's fight, flight, or freeze. And a lot of people freeze, including men. Mm -hmm. And that's that's also why just the idea that, well, a woman could never overpower a man. It's not about physical strength in these moments. And that's also... No, there's so much emotion in it. And it can be very emotionally manipulative. You can persuade someone to having sex with you without even touching them. I had an experience where I went on a date with a guy and I made it very clear that I did not want to have any sort of sexual interactions with him. And he said he understood. And he said he was a feminist. And we talked feminist theory. And then we were on a couch and I was on a different couch from him. And literally, like, I finished a sentence and he lunged at me to make out. And I was so confused the entire time because he said he understood that I was saying no. He was saying all the right things and I was saying all these things, but his body was doing the opposite. And so I didn't know what to trust, his words or his actions. Mm -hmm. And I was just very uncomfortable. And I'm not going to tell more of that story. But the idea being that even in that moment, I stayed there instead of walking out because I was like, but he says he's a feminist and he says he understood. And I made it clear what my boundaries were. But yeah. I mean, some people are really good at stating their boundaries. And I'm one of those people where sometimes reinforcing them is the difficult part. I know what my boundary yeah. is, but in the moment, reinforcing that boundary might be a challenge. And so yeah. many other people are like that too. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to go back really quickly. Also, an important point with the stats, the one in eight men um, experience sexual violence in Canada. A problem with that stat, too, is that historically men tend to underreport yeah. because there's a lot of shame. It's still, unfortunately, right. a lot of shame for men to come forward who have experienced sexual violence. Well, so it's probably higher than one in eight men. There was an episode of Glee that tried to tackle that. There was a, a character who confessed on on Glee that he had been basically raped by his teacher or by an older woman or, or by someone. And the response in the show is to have all of the guys laugh at him. And you see his face that he's hurt and they mm-hmm. never revisit it. I think they were trying to show an accurate really? portrayal of what. Remember that. Yeah, they were trying to show an accurate portrayal of what it's like when a when a young man or a man in general confesses to being assaulted, and it was all, "Oh, you're lucky. You should be happy about it. That's not assault. You should be proud." Like all of those things. But Glee never revisited that topic, and they never corrected that. That's very disappointing. Very disappointing. I was so disappointed. I was in high school when that episode came out. And even then I was like, this is disappointing. You need yeah. to, if you're going to be a show about moralizing, which let's be honest, the show that Glee is all about like very obvious moral of the episode and they never revisited it. And the moral was very muddied. And I was very disappointed in the writers that, well, I'm disappointed in the writers of Glee in general, but that's a whole different topic. I don't even remember Glee, man. That was such a long time ago. On the flip side. So this is just a, another pro tip um, in terms of educating consent, any sexual health topic, another great avenue for doing that is through television and through movies. Because again, it's something that you can share with your kid, you can share with your students and make it an easy conversation. I want to share my absolute two favorite shows that are currently going on, Sex Education on Netflix. Oh my God, I love that show. If you have not watched that show, it is perfect for a 14-year-old, a 40-year-old, a 90-year-old. Like it, it's just all the characters are so genuine. And it's one of the only- The shows- high schoolers look like high schoolers. Yes, I mean, a lot of them are older. They do a great job with uh, yeah. their makeup. But but the main character, Otis, looks like a ninth or 10th grader. Yeah, he and he's so good and so awkward. And oh, I can just, I, I remember that time in my life. It is such a phenomenal show. It is one of the only shows I have ever seen that really accurately portray sex development. And mm-hmm. in terms of consent, there's a plot line without too many spoilers. A girl experiences sexual assault on a bus where a man is touching himself inappropriately while looking at her. And just the way that they portrayed her reaction of like the five stages of grief, which is just such a normal reaction of being in denial and being upset and getting angry and then finally reaching a place of acceptance. It's just that whole narrative. It maybe took place over three episodes. It was just so honest. There's there's another plot line where there's a young girl and she wants to be sexually active and her boyfriend doesn't. And she yeah, doesn't understand the what the problem character. is. Yeah, so mm-hmm. exactly. It's, it's just very real life experiences portrayed very well. Um, and great platform to have conversations with your with your yes, kids. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So I highly recommend Sex Education. It's on Netflix. Another great show that I should recommend from Netflix is Big Mouth. This is not necessarily kid friendly, Definitely adult friendly, great for parents as, you know, as an adult myself watching it. I I think it's just such a great way to make light of all of the milestones that kids go through. It's a bit more humorous and satirical, but another really great, funny show that tackles some really important topics about sex. I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons for the longest time because that was considered inappropriate. And like now the cartoons that are coming out are just so, so much more. Wor- way worse. Yeah. Way worse. But yeah, sex education and big mouth. Check it out. Okay, so... 
in terms of sexual stereotypes, we talked about the idea that men can't be assaulted and women can. Women as gatekeepers, men constantly wanting sex and being ready when, let's be honest, we know teenage girls were ready way before some of the teenage boys were. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was one of them. Yeah. So, okay, one other thing this article mentions is the idea of moving away from risk-averse sex ed to pleasure-based sex ed. So what is, you know, what does this look like in regards to consent? Great question. Historically, one of the biggest problems with sex ed, and this dates back to the 1950s when I was doing my research in grad school, there are all these research articles about how sex education is often very risk-averse, risk-based. And what that means is that sex education is framed in a risk way. So you're preventing pregnancy, you're preventing contracting STIs, you're preventing getting raped, like all these things that it's just- We're we're not preventing people raping. We're just preventing getting raped. Right. Which, Which is problematic in itself. It's so much more complex than that. I'm just trying to make a point where it's, you know, very- surface level, yeah. not really getting into the nitty gritty. And it's it's not robust enough to really have conversations about sex in a healthy way. And part of the conversation needs to be about consent and how how you like to experience pleasure and when you like to experience pleasure. And it's not just about avoiding all the bad things. It's about how can we have conversations so I can also experience the good. And it's really hard to have those conversations as a teacher because the curriculum currently isn't framed in a way that it makes these conversations organic. And we also still live in a time and place, unfortunately, where sex is still very taboo. And it's really hard to admit that sex feels good and people want it. Right. Because if we admit that sex feels good, then how do we continue telling this narrative that you shouldn't have it? Right. Exactly. But it's complex and your moods change and feelings change. But also, I mean, the average age of people losing their virginity in North America, depending on on the statistic you look at. So when they say lose your virginity, they're talking penis and vagina sex. And that average age is 17. But people are experimenting with sex younger than that. And sex is not just penis and vagina sex. We know this. It's much broader than that. Yeah. People have intercourse on average at 17. And so the question there is, they're doing it safely. They're preventing, you know, they're not having it at 14. Some I mean, are. some people wait till they're 21, right? It's an average. So some are having it younger, yeah. some are having it older. And then they're sexually active for the rest of their lives, for the most part. Why are we only having conversations about not doing it when people spend most of their lives having sex? Right. And the assumption is that if I'm telling my kids don't have sex, that they're not going to. But that's not how life works. And again, the research does not show that. The the research shows that consent-based education, holistic sex education, will delay first time of having sexual interactions with other partners. Because it's not just teaching how to ask for that yes. It's teaching someone how to recognize in themselves when they don't want to give it and then being able to feel safe to say it. And that's the thing. Like when when you're agreeing to have sex or engage sexually, Yes, there are risks that come with that. And you should be having those conversations still. It's not to say that the risk-based sex ed that we're teaching is not valuable. It's very valuable. But it needs to be coupled with when you have sex, these are the risks. And these are the wonderful things that come out of it as well. And you have to weigh the pros and cons. There are repercussions of every choice that we make. But by just focusing on the good or just focusing on the bad is a disservice to kids because they need to have a full understanding of what they're getting themselves into so that they know what to expect and know what questions to ask. Right. I love the term natural consequences, right? Like, 
sure, having sex is a risk, but so is riding in an airplane and so Mm -hmm. is riding a bike and so is not submitting your homework on time. There are so many things in life that are a risk, but what is an actual consequence of not submitting Mm -hmm. your homework on time? What is an actual consequence of having sex without a condom? What is an actual consequence of having sex with a condom? To be quite honest, the actual consequence still might be an STI. Okay, so what do you do next? What is an actual consequence of not asking for consent? You could be assaulting someone. You don't want to be that person. And that's for all genders. Absolutely. Absolutely. So on that note, let's take a commercial break. We are looking for sponsors. If you are interested in sponsoring Sex News with Ray, please send us a DM on Instagram at Sex News with Ray or email us at sexnewswithray at gmail.com. Carly, do you know what time it is? It's time for listener questions. So today's question has nothing to do with today's topic, which I thought might be a fine change. Uh, So the question for today is, what if I didn't tell the entire truth about how babies were made? How do I fix it now that my child is older? Ray, why don't you go for it first? What are your thoughts? Well, based off of all of the advice we've been giving so far and the idea that it's an ongoing conversation, it is never too late to shift to ongoing conversations. So you don't necessarily have to sit down your kid and be like, all right, so remember when you asked me that question? I was caught off guard. So I just gave you a non-answer. Time to fix it. Uh, No, like what you can do is start by bringing up those books and being like, oh, I bought a book from the library. I want to talk about it, right? You can be the one to begin having those ongoing conversations. Oh, I heard so-and-so is pregnant. Isn't that exciting? Oh, well, you know. I love that. And like babies are such an exciting thing. And oh, do you remember how babies are made? That's so true. But also this, right? And having it very casually. But I think that even though they're older doesn't mean you can't revisit the 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 idea of books and ongoing conversations and bringing it up in a casual setting as it's relevant. And so at the beginning, it might feel a little bit shoehorned in and it might feel a little bit stiff. But the more you do it and the more you practice it as a parent, the easier it will get. Carly, what are your thoughts? I couldn't have said it better myself. I couldn't agree more. I think that you can pick up from where you left off and make things right. And there will be a time where you know your kid's ready to have those conversations and you just start having them on a very casual basis. You don't have to say, I lied to you and this is the actual truth. Kids forget things. They evolve. We've all been there. We've all been told that babies are delivered by stork at some point in our life. Oh, I was never told that. I was actually never taught that either. But a lot, a lot of people I know have. My mother runs a very successful daycare. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So just to go back to, you know, some ways to maybe soften the blow of having that honest conversation. I love picture books. And I know we think picture books are a thing for kids, but there's actually fantastic picture books for teenagers, too. A great one you can have with a younger child, though, is called What Makes a Baby by Corey Silverberg. Uh, Corey Silverberg has a series of fantastic sex ed books. I have them all. I've read them all. So What Makes a Baby is a great one to talk about how babies are made in a way that is not too scary, but it is accurate. And then as your kid gets older, Corey has other books you can read. So the next one, for example, is Sex is a Funny Word. That's really great for preteens. And again, it's just normalizing some of these milestones that we experience and your kids will have questions about. So if you really don't know how to have that conversation, because if you're telling them that babies are being delivered by storks, I'm assuming that means that you're uncomfortable with it. So use a picture book to help facilitate that conversation. 
I would also say that, I mean, you gave the answer that was right in the moment at that time. Yeah. And that's okay. And that was the answer you were ready to give. And that's also probably the answer you thought your kid was ready to hear. So there's nothing wrong with when your kid brings it up again, even if it, you know, if they bring it up again, if they ask another question again, saying, right, I gave you that answer at that age because you were that age and now you're older and more mature. So I'd like to give you more information now that I think you're ready for it. And that'll also play to your kid's ego. And kids love that (laughs) shit. So... That's also a great option. Fantastic. Couldn't agree more. All right. So thank you for listening to Sex News with Ray. Carly, where can people find you? You can find me at mysexed.ca and you can also find all my social media handles on there as well. You can follow the podcast at Sex News with Ray on Facebook and Instagram and submit a listener question through sharewithray.com slash podcast or email sexnewswithray at gmail.com. Follow me at wifebayray on Instagram and TikTok and razor latex on Instagram, OnlyFans and Patreon. This podcast is engineered and produced by Dave Meisner, who's super cool and everyone should be his friend. And has a really great beard. He really does. And this podcast is hosted at sexnewswithray.podbean.com. The theme music is by Blink and Brilliant. And a special thank you to Blue Microphones. 